we want to welcome Nick up here. If you've heard us talking about the One Association, this is one of the churches in the One Association. There are five of us. And we believe God is going to unite us and some others and touch the globe, starting in congregations just like this one. Can you all say amen to that? I want you to stretch forward your hands. We're going to pray for him. And uh, we're going to be blessed by what the Lord is, is doing in him, right? If we're half as blessed as his people are, then it'll be extraordinary. Y'all ready? Mighty God, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done here. Lord, that you take ordinary men and you do extraordinary things. Lord, you put us together in covenant and teach us to work through unity on the earth. Lord, we praise you for what you've accomplished in Chicago, in the U.S., and even what is stretching around the world. Lord, we ask that this morning, as this man speaks your truth and you fill his mouth with your word, that it would be deposited deeply into our hearts. Lord, that there would be a harvest of righteousness that would raise from it. Lord, that we might walk out of here motivated to do your will, full of a knowledge of God and understanding your character better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, uh, I've been trying to search for words to describe how much you guys have blessed us. Um, you have the kind of pastors uh, who not only take care of the hearts of their people, so you can't just say they're just pastoral. They will go to the ends of the earth to reach the lost, but you can't just say they're evangelistic. Um, they are working miracles uh, everywhere that they go and birthing churches, but you can't just say that they're apostolic, right? You can't just say that they're amazing teachers. The word I just heard right now will keep me going for weeks. I mean, that amazing. And obviously, the, anoint, the prophetic anointing is in this church. Uh, this is this is. This is the most powerful church that I know of, honestly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not promising you, I'm not just saying that. The, the level of intimacy and fellowship that exists among these believers, you cannot find anywhere else. I've, I've not found it anywhere else. We're working to make that happen. We're working to raise up churches, churches like that. And we're seeing that. But this church is in a league of its own, and it is amazing to be here. You have the kind of pastors who are worthy of respect, and they lay themselves down in mud for people to walk over them. Uh, to get to the kingdom. Uh, these guys uh, bless me tremendously. The, the work that is happening in our church in Chicago is a direct result of our time spent here. And we could not be doing what we're doing without these guys. So we are uh, blessed to be here, tremendously blessed. So thank you guys for giving us the opportunity to serve with you. <clears throat> what we want to talk to, to today is about ministering through hardship. So the, uh, the title of today's message is Ministry through hardship. One thing that I see that's impossible uh, to ignore in this church is that everywhere that you look, whether it's Justin, Nick, Daniel, Rob, Buddy, uh, all these guys that I, that I uh, have spent uh, some time with and get to see them uh, in action, uh, JJ, uh, I, I'm watching you guys and uh, you're exemplary in the way that you live your lives. And uh, I know without a doubt that you will be going to minister to the nations. Yes. One thing I can speak to is some of the difficulties that come in ministering. 
when we left this place, we didn't know what the future held for us. Some of you guys have that advantage. You already know that you are going to the nations. You have that in mind. You're being prepped for it. You're ready. You're getting your uh, call to action. You're getting your marching orders. You're getting prepped, making sure that all your bags are packed. You're ready to go. And then you will be sent out when the time is right. Um, when we left this place, uh, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen uh, to us. The Lord had made us ready in ways that we didn't even know, but we didn't know exactly what we were walking into. And we've encountered difficulties along the way. Some of them are as a result of us not knowing exactly where we were going, which you guys will be spared of by knowing what God is going to do through you. But some of them just come because when you set out to do something for the Lord, there is difficulty involved. Uh, everyone that I can think of, every major hero in the word, either didn't want to go where they were, or once they got there, kept going past it, or had to be brought there through captivity to where they were supposed to be. And so we see that in encountering what you're supposed to do, there's much difficulty. And so the Bible tells us to be aware of the enemy's schemes. And so what I wanted to do today is go through the word and share some of the struggles along the way that I've had in hopes that it would encourage you in what God is calling you to. Is that okay? Amen. 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 Let's turn to Genesis 31. (laughs) Music to my ears. I love the little kid. There. (laughs) I want to encourage myself watching this on camera if I do later on with my wife that uh, it's okay that you look the way you do in this shirt. (laughs) You will end up working out and doing what you said you would do and it will all be okay. Your wife is still very attracted to you. She She is fully satisfied with you. I'm looking at pictures from the mission trip and going, man, times are hard. (laughs) Look at verse 38. I always wait for someone to correct me when I say that, but everyone just laughs. I'm like, no, Nick, that's not true. Don't think that. It's never... So this is Jacob and Laban. Jacob worked hard for women. (laughs) Worked very, very hard. And um, we see in verse 38, he's having a conversation with Laban, who was the father of Leah and Rachel. Jacob's time with Laban was filled with hardship. He's going to describe some of them. Let's start in verse 38. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. 
The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years that I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. What is happening here is the man that Jacob is working for has betrayed him. Jacob spent 20 years working for this man. And all along the way, whether it's changing his wages or giving him not the woman that he was working for. And then making him work another seven years for the woman that he was after. And then making him work for flocks and trying to give him the lesser flocks or the flocks that were not producing as much. He kept betraying him over and over again. This is an aspect of ministry. When you go to work for others, you will find that there's going to be betrayal of some kind. When we went up to Illinois, we were looking to figure out where we could serve. We wanted to go to a church, literally any church, and just serve our hearts out. That was one thing that we were taught here. What started is simply taking plates up from the table when you're over at someone's house and doing the dishes ended up being we want to give our lives to support the vision of the leaders of this church. That was our hearts. So we wanted to go anywhere and serve as hard as we could to support the vision. So we would end up at a church and our zeal would rise and they would see that we were capable of leadership and they would put us in places of leadership at one large church that we went to by default because we didn't know where we were called, which is how a lot of those places get populated. We were quickly put into leadership. We were quickly put into leadership there. We went through the standard four-week training along with other people and were considered ready to host a house group along with all the other people. didn't matter that our training was different than their training, right? We were all lumped together. And then on the other side, here we were, packaged and ready to go as leaders. And we found ourselves uh, in a place that failed, Right? And we tried to do what we knew was in our hearts to do, and it didn't work out. That ultimately led to the place um, that we would go to right before the ministry started. It was a uh, small church that was at the end of our street, um, which also is another reason why some churches get populated proximity, right? So we ended up at that church. We had some disagreements, but we didn't focus on those, right? Because it's okay that disagreements might arise among you. Right? It's to show where God's favor lies. So we thought, we'll do ministry together and we won't let any differences stand between us. Well, we started hosting a small group uh, there in that church as well. And ultimately, uh, it came down to we didn't agree with the style of leadership that was happening. There was a woman that was over the entire church. When we first came there, there was an interim pastor. And we were serving underneath him. 
became very close. We loved each other. Our families were together and doing life together, and it was amazing. People were coming to the group. There was good teaching. It was happening. We were doing life together, and we thought, this is amazing. This is happening. We're using some of the things that we've learned. We're seeing God move. This is great. Well, then the interim pastor, his time was finally done because they had found the replacement pastors. And it would be a woman who would be over the entire church. We were very uncomfortable with that. We sought the counsel of Matt and Eric at the time, just trying to understand what do we do in this situation? What does the Bible say? And sure enough, the inevitability of wrong shalom, right? Or no shalom. I guess there's no wrong shalom. There's just no shalom. Inevitably, um, there began to be tension. Right? And uh, the work that we had put in and the effort that we had put in into that ministry was disregarded uh, and we were uh, asked to leave because we didn't agree with the style of leadership. And we felt very betrayed during that time because we had given so much of our hearts to that ministry. We worked hard, tirelessly, day and night. Every single event that they had, we were there. We were serving our butts off. We were preaching to the people. We were working hard. We were worshiping. I was on the worship team. I was on the board. And they asked us to leave because we didn't agree with what they were saying. But from that, that little Bible study that we had started weekly and all the changes we had made from flipping our basement upside down and making it ready for kids, having kids church down there while we had Bible study, learning to spend time in the Word weekly and prepare a message, praying with the people, spending time there, all of a sudden we realized that we were being trained in the areas that we needed more training in. And when that went away, we thought, well, the ministry's done, but people kept coming. Week after week, people kept coming. And then eventually we recognized God was doing something up there. And we were on the phone with Gabe and Debbie. God's doing something up here. And then they came and joined and we started the Arising Church. That's how that was birthed. But what it looked like was betrayal. It looked like I had worked my butt off and had turned our whole lives upside down to serve these people. And then they said, get out of here. We don't want you, right? But what God had intended was that we would have everything that we needed to reproduce. Do you see that? And with Jacob, think about that. He left there with two wives and the two servants who would eventually birth the 12 tribes of Israel. He left there with all the flocks which equate money and resources that he would need to build a nation from. What looked like betrayal and failure and misery ended up giving him everything that he needed to do what God had called him to do. Turn to 1 Kings 19. Let's look at verse 13. So we have the prophet Elijah, who is the prophet of prophets. We were talking this morning, Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah, but he's the one you remember as the most powerful prophet. He's the one that you see with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you're ready to study, and a lot of other places, right? Look at verse 13. When Elijah heard it, 
This is the word of the Lord that he had heard. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah is at a breaking point. What you think is that he's afraid of a threat that came from a wicked queen. He's just gotten done calling down fire from heaven. This is the guy that called down fire from heaven. We talk about fire coming down. Literal fire came down from heaven. And then he slew the prophets of Baal. I mean, he was a hero. Watching that, you can't make movies better than that. What you were watching was the man of God pit himself up against hundreds of people who disagreed with him, pouring water on the sacrifice to make it harder for it to be burnt up. And the fire came. But then he got a threat from a wicked queen and ran away. And he was in a cave. And he was afraid and discouraged. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So what did we see that the problem actually was? Not that there was a threat from a wicked queen, but what? The nation had rejected his message. He was preaching to a people and doing things that he thought, surely, surely this will convince the people. Surely this will change their hearts. Surely the words and the actions and the miracles that I'm bringing and that God is doing through me will change the hearts of the people. He had been properly trained. He was living only for the Lord. Miracles were happening that were like unlike anything that anyone had ever seen. And you found this guy in a cave because the people weren't listening. Wow. One of the hardships of ministry is that you will give the very words of God. You'll be doing miracles, seeing people's backs healed. Seeing people go from being uh, living in a sexually deviant lifestyle to being made pure again. You will see blind eyes open, the dead raised. And yet, people's hearts will still be cold. How is that possible? How is that possible? If you're really seeing all these miracles, if the words are really from God and they're true, how can people deny or reject that? I'm telling you, it's a hardship of ministry. You'll be sitting down with the couple and working with them and saying, can you not see this is your sin? This is what you are doing that is leading to destruction. I am pleading with you, please stop doing this or something terrible will happen to you. Your marriage will fall apart. Your children will rebel against you. You will lose your job, your ministry, everything that you've been doing. You will lose it if you don't stop sinning. And they reject the word that you've given them. They've been with you and seen miracles. They've seen the power of God fell. They've encountered His presence. 
and they reject the word anyways. One of the difficulties of ministry is that even though God is moving through you, there will still be people who reject you. There will still be people who reject the words that you're bringing, the signs that God does through you. But watch this. From this, what happened? Elijah quickly realized there were 7,000 other prophets. His thought was that he was alone. He said, I'm the only one left. But God says, get up and go from this place. There's work to do. He's sitting there going, right? Which is what we do when we get discouraged. When we feel that no one is listening. When we feel that the people aren't responding. But what does the Lord do? Does he sulk with him? No. He says, get up. There's work to do. And Elijah quickly finds out that he's not alone. He's also given the task of this is what you will do. And he's also told to go and anoint his successor. He quickly finds out that he is not alone. And he gets a successor from that. He gets the disciple who will take over for him. So in the time of feeling like the people are rejecting his message, the Lord is actually pleased with him. And he is actually fitting into the plan exactly the way that he's supposed to. You think that what you're doing is not being seen or heard or acknowledged, but in reality, you are fitting exactly into the plan that God is unfolding right before your very eyes. You don't see it, but he can. It feels like you're alone, but you're not. The, um, the number of times that we literally were rejected by no one coming or another time we were going to a Bible study and we were very excited because we ran into him in Panera. We had been praying, Lord, send us some people that can be excited about what we're doing that we can pour into, that we can fellowship with. And we were at Panera literally praying for that. And I heard someone talking about Elijah. And I go, oh my goodness, I was sitting there with my family. I left my family immediately and went over there and sat and said, what are you guys talking about? So they said, we're talking about Elijah. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Tell me what's going on. And then they said, hey, we get together weekly. You should come to our Bible study. And I said, where do you guys meet? They were in my neighborhood. I thought, man, Lord, you've opened up the heavens and this is exactly what we're supposed to do. So we immediately began going and meeting with these people week after week. And immediately, because we were so excited about all the things that we're learning, we're like, what do you guys think about rapture? (laughs) That's not true. Let's talk. So they didn't agree. They didn't agree with several things. And we wanted to show these. These are the things that that God has shown us. Let us show you in the word. And so they're like, wow. And so we we spent an extra hour there. And we, we went home and we were so excited. Man, the Lord has finally shown us the direction. This is why we're here. This is why we've come up here. We're very excited. We even drive 45 minutes to go to a bilingual church. That's the church that they were associated with. And we listen to the church service in Spanish. Doesn't matter, right? The heavens have parted and these are the people that we're supposed to fellowship with. And we're talking with them and they're excited and we're excited. And then we say, hey, uh, that we're talking to the pastor after the service. Hey, come over with us and, and we can do the Bible study because his people have, have been talking to him. Hey, we met these people and they're, they're going through all the, as anybody would. And so the pastor said, sure, I'll come this next week. So Lindy and I are feverishly studying on up, up on all these things. We have our notes with us. We're so excited. We're thanking God for his faithfulness and his provision. We get dressed up, get the kids ready, put them in the car, drive over there, and the doors are locked and the lights are turned off. And we, we started calling and texting the people and no response. 
So we didn't know what was going on. We went home. We were frustrated. Finally, we get a response. We think it's best if you guys don't come around anymore. (laughs) Oh, and we sulked and we cried because we're alone. No one is believing the words that we're saying. These are pearls from heaven, right? And we're casting them out and the animals are doing what the animals do. And we thought we're being rejected. Nobody believes like we believe. The whole world is falling apart because we're the only ones. Right? But from that point, the Lord had work for us to do. What happened is we realized that we don't need the acceptance of man. We don't need to understand how everything fits together. We need to be obedient. In ministry, what it will feel like is that you're the only one. The people aren't listening to your message. No one cares. I remember the phrase doormat ministry. Is that still used around here? (laughs) The idea of people, oh yes, pastor, that's good. That's good stuff. Yes, amen. Oh wow, revelation. I'll be with you forever. This is my church. I can't wait to do life with you. A phone call throughout the week. This person's in jail. Or worse, Two weeks, not responding to text messages, no callbacks, no response. You drive to the house to figure out what's going on. You find that they've been overdosing on drugs and getting drunk, not taking it serious. But you told me that you were, you were with me. Or, turns out they admit, you know, actually we have feelings. Uh, the wife has feelings for, for, your, uh, for you, pastor, and, and I have feelings for your wife, and so we're not going to be with you anymore. We're not going to come around. That literally happened to us. If I would have filled out my shirt that way back then, we might not have had these problems. This is the Lord's grace. Think about that, though, because now I can look back and see what the Lord intended. But in the moment, it made no sense. In the moment, what it looked like is nobody was taking this seriously. This is everything to us. This is everything. And people are spitting on it and trampling on us. And betraying us and rejecting us, and we're alone. There's nobody else. These are the parts of ministry that sometimes you can't understand until you're going through them. Turn to Daniel 3. Amen. Look at verse 16. Amen. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, these are three young men who had different names than this. Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Is that right? Mishael and Azariah. They were taken into captivity, stolen from their land, given different names. And now they were standing because they had been set up. A statue was erected and the king told everyone to bow down before it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves 
in this situation. They had been called out because they would not bow down to the statue. Replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The problem was is that the entire nation of Israel was taken into captivity. How many men are standing up against this? Three. So we have these three men who are refusing to bow to the world's king. Everyone else had compromised all around. When we were starting in the church and it was in a little bitty living room, with a few chairs. We'd move some couches out and put a little corg in there with a guitar and a little music stand for the podium. And I was controlling the background music with an iPod that I had in my hand as I was preaching up and down depending on the rise and fall of the music. What we realized was especially in a living room setting what I had seen these guys do so well, which was be unashamed about the Holy Spirit, was harder when they weren't around. And when my brothers weren't around that were willing to be as bold and outspoken. When I had everybody around me and we had all agreed that this is the way that it would be, it was easier to be bold for the Lord. But when everyone was gone, it was harder especially in a place where everyone had intellectually evolved past the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about churches. The church is there, if it doesn't make sense to their mind, the king, right? Their mind is the emperor, the king of everything, and they submit it as food to their mind. Mind, does this make sense? And the mind says, yes, that makes sense. Go ahead and do that. Nothing that doesn't make sense makes it into the churches. And so we found ourselves, when speaking in tongues, this is something that if we do this, literally no one else that's sitting in this room knows what's going on. If we begin to speak in tongues, these are not charismatics that we're sitting around. We're going to speak in tongues and this will be completely foreign to these people. And being bold in the Holy Spirit. Giving a prophecy was different, right? A word of knowledge, now we're borderline crazy. Right? How did you know this stuff, right? But tongues was something that was weird. 
and it didn't make sense to the people. And so when we did it, we realized that it was very difficult and very uncomfortable. And so we were faced with the option to compromise. Do we try and play the game that the rest of the churches are playing? And I promise you, it's a game. Do we play the game and water down the Holy Spirit and see how far we can make it in our own strength? Or do we be true to the Holy Spirit and not bow before the world's king? Okay? This is what we were faced with in ministry. If you have a brother that you are going into ministry with, you are blessed. If you have two brothers that you are going into ministry with, you are doubly blessed. Because a brother is born for adversity. And when you want to do the king's work, adversity comes. Because the enemy is a liar and a destroyer and a thief and a killer. But our God is a consuming fire. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defied the world's king and the onlookers saw the Son of God. Think about that. They're watching as the fire is all around them and as they are defying the world's king, they see the Son of God. The people see the Son of God. The Son of God is revealed when the people of God refuse to bow to the world's king. In your ministry... I promise you, you will be presented not just once, but many times, over and over again, daily, moment by moment, with the option to compromise. And the biggest thing, especially nowadays, that you'll have the option to compromise is the Holy Spirit. Okay? The idea of we're going to go and do good things. Praise God. Atheists do good things. We're going to try and counsel people. You can go to a psychiatrist. The difference, without a doubt, is the Holy Spirit. Period. The world right now is being split. The world of the church is being split into two roads. And God is drawing the church out of the church. Okay? That's what's happening. So what you're witnessing is there are two roads and down one road goes religion. That's idolatry, and that's a stench before the Lord. And down the other road goes Holy Spirit-filled worship, worshipers in spirit and in truth. This is the road that God has called us to, no matter the consequences, no matter the hardships. That's what we're called to. What I love is this. During your ministry, you will also be faced with trials, the trials that you face, They'll come before God's calling you to do something for Him. They'll come during, while He's while you're doing something for the Lord, and they'll come after. You know, I watched Nick and Sam when we were in Suriname. I watched Nick. Nick was there as they got news. And I watched to see how, his re- how he reacted. I was praying for the brother and interceding for him in that moment. And wondered how they would respond with the news that they were given. Very difficult news in that moment. And I was watching to see how the brother responded. 
And he began to cry out to the Lord and worship him and pray for the ministry that we had that night. He had reasoned in his heart that God was in control, that he would take care of the situation, that he was God over the situation, and that him worrying and being upset and stressed and neglecting what God had given him to do was not an option. But he was to press forward with what God had given him to do. That was during the middle of his ministry. He was ministering, and that happened during the middle of the ministry. There are times that you will face difficulties right before you go to do something for the Lord. And then the question is, well, will you still do it? Will you still do it even though, there was a, even though this makes you feel like the whole world is falling apart? This is on the other side of it. Are you still going to obey the Lord and do what He's called you to do even though this terrible thing just happened? Or will you now scrap the whole plan? During the middle of it, it happens right in the middle of you ministering and doing something for the Lord. Well, now where your whole attitude change and you, you shut off or you begin to lash out or turn against everyone or doubt everything that God told you and abandon the plan right in the middle of it and bring everyone down with you? Or after you've just done something for the Lord and then something terrible happens, will you equate that terrible thing with devoting your life to the Lord and therefore abandon the next great thing that He's calling you to? Ministry has all these aspects. Before, during, And after everything that you do for the Lord, the enemy will try to steal, kill, and destroy. The beautiful thing is is that we have a Savior who is not unaware of the enemy's schemes and not unaware of our sufferings and our temptations. Turn to Matthew 26. Look at verse 47. Everything was created through the word of God that was spoken. And the word took on flesh and came down and dwelt among us. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He grabbed 12 rejects and told them that they had the ability to be just like him. We're picking up in the story right before he's about to be arrested and crucified for us. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled. It words it like this specifically. You think Jacob was betrayed. 
Jesus was betrayed. He was perfect. Jacob at best, a deceiver, changed by an encounter with God. Jesus was God taking on flesh, betrayed by everybody that he had invested his entire life into. Betrayed. They fled from him at his time of greatest need. Look at Matthew 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you were the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. We'll let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Elijah thinks the nation rejected his message. The nation rejected Jesus' message. All of them did. The people that knew his words better than anyone else because they had grown up from birth learning about everything that he would do, all the ways that he would be and the ways that he would suffer, even the day that he was dying on and the manner that he was being crucified. All the signs pointed to him. He had done miracles, raised people from the dead, opened blind eyes. And yet the nation rejected him. Everybody that he had came to, su- to save had rejected him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, you can flip there if you want. Paul says, after that, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And yet in Acts 1, we see that there were 120 in the upper room. Turn to Acts 2. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to compromise when all the rest did. The 120 were in the upper room, even though 500 had seen Jesus. This is Jesus showing his love even after, even after people had compromised, the people that he had appeared to. When the day of Pentecost came, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We see Jesus suffering before, during, and after. Before he was betrayed, just like, Jesus, just like Jacob was. During, the nation had rejected his message, just like they did with Elijah. And then the ones that he had appeared to after he had raised from the dead, they had compromised. Just like the ones that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were surrounded by. But he still made good. He didn't stop his ministry. When they betrayed him, did he stop? what he was doing and say, it looks like everybody has abandoned me. I'm not going to go through with what the Lord has called me to do. No, he pressed on toward the mark, Amen. didn't he? As he hung on the cross and he watched evidence in front of his eyes. Sometimes it doesn't even take evidence. We just have to think the wrong thought and hear a gossipy word. And we begin to think, if they're rejecting my message, and I don't want to do it anymore. He literally watched the nation reject his message. He watched them. The people that he came to die for spit on him, laughed at him as he hung not clothed with the loincloth on the cross, naked on the cross. He literally watched them reject the message that he was and his message was perfect, no flaws. And after he had ascended and he had told them, go and wait in the upper room, all the people that he appeared to, and I promise you, he doesn't do anything for no reason. Every word that he spoke, every letter that's in this book is powerful and anointed and filled with a message for you. Everything that you need for life and godliness. And he appeared to them, not for no reason, but so that they would believe. And even after so many of them didn't follow through, weren't in that room, he still made good on his promise to give the Holy Spirit. Think about this. What does it take for us to abandon what God has called us to? When it comes to ministry, that's one aspect of it. Right? That's one aspect of it. If we make a promise before the Lord, that's something that He actually expects us to keep. He says, let your yes be yes. Your word is supposed to mean something before the Lord. I've watched many people turn and reject the things that we have done, betray us, abandon us, say that they're for us and then turn around and stab us in the back. That's happened over and over again, more times than I can count. Our message has been rejected, laughed at, ridiculed, disgraced. We've been silenced, put out. And we've watched people all around us compromise. When we came to visit LCMF earlier this year, we got together for a meeting with the One Association. And Justin was there. Zeke was there. Buddy was even there. Me and Gabe and Mike were there. Eric, Matt, and Wade were all there. Am I missing anybody? Eric Treaster was there. So we were all in the room and we were talking about the things that the Lord was doing. And I began to catch a vision of the big things that God was wanting to do with the people that are in this room and the people that are doing this work across the nation. Amen. We prayed and we prophesied to each other and we worshiped together for hours and hours for those two days. And then when we went back, I recognized that we were watering down what the Lord had called us to do. 
and that he was calling us to a higher level than we had gone. We were sitting in worship practice before service and I was playing the drum. And then uh, Adam looked at me and he said, are we good? Everybody good? Everybody feel good? And I put, put my sticks down and I said, man, what are we doing? He said, what are we doing? He said, what do you mean? I said, man, I feel like we've done this a million times before. I feel like we've been here before. I don't want to miss out anymore. I just came from a place that was on fire. I don't want to abandon what the Lord is trying to do by compromising and watering down what he's called me to. I feel him moving. I feel him calling me to more. And I'm not responding. And I can't do that anymore. I only have so much time. And I don't want to look back and see that I ignored what he was calling me to. And he said, well, what should we do? And I said, man, let's worship. Let's abandon all of our fear of man and let's worship together. Let's pray in the spirit right now. Because that's what we're afraid to do. We're afraid, why? Because it doesn't make any sense and people will think that we're foolish. But they thought that he was foolish. They thought his disciples were foolish. They thought the prophets were foolish. They put him in cisterns and in jails. They cut him in half. They rejected him and kicked him out of king's courts. They wouldn't listen to their word. Why? Because it wasn't what they wanted to hear because it made him uncomfortable. And so they avoided that word. And they didn't listen to what God was calling them to do. I said, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to do that. I want to respond to what God has called me to do. I can't live like this anymore. And so we put our instruments down and we crank the worship music and we began to pray in the spirit and dance around the room like idiots. Yes. And something broke that day. Amen. And it continues to this day. Yeah. The fire that you see in these guys' eyes that came with me, this is not a result of any man This is a result of the Spirit of God. The problem is, is that we water down the Spirit. We are the ones who reject what He's calling us to. We're the ones that suppress it for fear of what will happen. Without a doubt, God today is speaking. He's speaking to your hearts individually. This is what the Lord does. It doesn't matter where you're at, whether you don't know Him, whether you do know Him, whether you're going into ministry or not, whatever. He's speaking to our hearts. Let's pray.